Hi, everyone. My name is John Benson, for those that don't know me, and I'm here to uh, moderate shipping, which I thought was going to be a bit novel, but having listened to the first panels today, it seems that's the topic uh, we're all hitting on. Um, we have a great panel with us today. If I'll just quickly, quickly introduce everybody. To my right, we have Mr. Richard Tao, Head of Maritime Advisory, DNV. After that, Ms. Haras Tanaki. Sorry, uh, Chief Strategy Officer, Starbulk. Next, we have Mr. Sam Norton, President and CEO, Overseas Shipping Group. Then, Mr. Scott Bergeron, Director of Business Development and Strategy, Oldendorf Carriers. And finally, at the end of the table, Mr. Soren Meyer, CEO, Zero North. So, if you'll indulge me a second, I'd like to try to frame the conversation with a stat. Um, I think it's one we've all heard more than once over the last few years but it gives some context to the discussion. And I believe it's about four years old now, but I think it's relevant. So ships are responsible for the transport of 90% of global trade and account for about 3% of greenhouse gas emissions. When I first hear that, that 3% sounds not too bad. But from a climate impact standpoint, it's big. Uh, at the time, that would have placed shipping between Germany and Japan as the sixth largest contributor of CO2 emissions. So. I realize that's open to claims of lies, damn lies, stats, you know, shipping's not a country. Depending on how you frame an industry, we can all talk about that. But I think it shows the level of positive impact that small changes in shipping can have on the global greenhouse gas emissions. That said, we all know current technology isn't there, doesn't get it done. So there's the challenge. And unlike maybe two years ago, I think it's clear we're not ignoring the elephant in the room any longer. So one last stat. In February of 2021, we, Watson Farley, published a thought leadership report that we titled The Sustainability Imperative. We asked 545 leaders across our industry to weigh, on, weigh in on some issues. And one of those questions was, what are the biggest challenges for the maritime industry in the next five years? Majority of respondents, vast majority, pointed to reducing carbon emissions, carbon footprint. That was 24% of financiers, 29% of ship owners. So it's clearly an imperative. There's no getting around this. This is happening. There's no one segment that's going to solve this problem. We've accepted that. So we'll start from the top down, and I'm going to be general here, and maybe we'll just start the conversation there. Starting with Richard, which sectors of the industry need to be the main drivers of this change, the main agents of this change? Yeah, okay. I think it's a very good question. And uh, if you look at main drivers, uh, the decarbonization for the shipping are mainly driven by three fundamentals. And uh, the first one is definitely the regulators and the policy makers. And then the, third, the second one will be the access to the capitals. And uh, the third one will be the, the cargo owners and the consumer expectations. And I think all those are, are driving the decarbonization. But which one will be uh, the main driver will be very much depending on which sectors uh, that we are in. And uh, we all know that uh, the IMO are, are putting a, a requirements, and the next year there's a couple of the new regulations kicking yeah. by the CI and, uh, and the uh, EXI, and uh, as well as the SEMP3. Those are, are put in the requirement for the ship design and, uh, and operation requirements. 
and you are already decided to implementing the, the, the carbon trading system and also the well to to wake uh, emission uh, for the for the marine fuel and uh, what we also know that the IMO may adjusting the, the, the ambitions next year and implementing possible the same thing so the, the regulators are, are accelerating the requirements and at the same time, as we heard from early discussion uh, on the access to the capitals, there's a more and more uh, higher bar for, for getting the capitals. So, so you have a Poseidon principle, you have a, a sort of scientific uh, goal uh, index approach, and then you also understand that the, the insurance are joined the Poseidon principles. And uh, we also know the net zero uh, coalition from the banks are, are putting requirements all already in 2030. And uh, so those are, are, are driving the decarbonization. And again, on the, on the cargo owners and the, and the consumers, we all know that uh, uh, the, there's a requirement as, uh, here in the U.S. that if you are stock list companies, you have to report directly and indirectly uh, carbon emissions. And, and you will have uh, uh, consumers brands like uh, uh, IKEA, Nike, and all those uh, uh, players. They are requirement for 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 including the the value chain as part of the the, the carbon uh, requirements. So all those are are putting the pressure. But again, I think uh, individual segments are, are, are affecting uh, one way or another. So it will be very interesting to see the rest of the the panels, and uh, what's your takeaway from that? Moving down, Taris. Main drivers these days, where do you see them from your perspective? Is it, is it the regulators, as, as Richard suggested? So thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, so to answer your question, John, and building up on what uh, Richard said, I think it's very important that uh, uh, we break the whole decarbonization challenge into two phases. Because first, we have the short and medium-term targets whereby, as an industry, we need to improve the energy efficiency of the existing fleet. And, where, and in, in that phase, the burden of pulling this off is mostly on the shoulders of the ship owners, who are the ones that have to look out for solutions, whether we're talking about technical or operational measures in the industry, in order to pilot, assess, research, and ultimately implement these solutions. For example, energy-saving devices, advanced technologies when it comes to hull coating, hull cleaning, voyage optimization platforms. All these solutions exist at the moment. We see advancements every day, and it's important for, uh, for the ship owners to work with marine technology companies in order to find the right solutions and continuously improve the carbon intensity of the existing fleet. So this is the first phase. And, and the drivers there, the sectors, John, are, are mostly the ship owners and the, and the marine technology companies. But looking further when it comes to the medium-term and the longer-term solutions, of course there are a lot of developments when it comes to carbon capture, to onboard carbon capture, and, and uh, this could be a game-changer, especially if in the coming years we're able to find solutions that are able to capture on board um, uh, the carbon to a large percentage and in a practical, cost-efficient and safe way. 
but um, uh, we have to look even longer term than that towards 2050, whether the ambition is there to, uh, to reduce emissions by 50% or to go completely net zero. And there are voices in the industry right now that are advocating that we do go to net zero. We will absolutely need to see zero emission fuels coming into the picture. Uh, and there, of course, it is not only the ship owners or the technology companies uh, that will have to, um, to take on that burden. Uh, first, we need to have the engines and the vessels available uh, that will be able to burn green fuels. So there we have uh, engine manufacturers and shipyards coming into play. Uh, even if you have the vessel and the engine, you still need to have the fuel. So we need fuel producers, but also governments and financiers to come into the picture to make the necessary investment in order for us to have availability and the necessary infrastructure for the green fuels. Uh, and uh, safety comes first. We all know that we need to have safety specifications, in which case one more sector is the classification societies, but also regulators that need to set the standards for these fuels. And last but not least, we have to look into the cost. Um, because for as long as the cost difference between conventional fuels and green fuels is exuberant, um, uh, we cannot be able to implement changes when it comes to green fuels, which is where governments again come into play in order to be able to implement mechanisms that will be able to bridge the competitiveness gap between conventional fuels and green fuels. Uh, and in that respect, it's also the whole value chain that we'll need to collaborate in order to put into place agreements that will be in a position to pass on the additional cost down to the, to the end consumer. Um, so, so in a nutshell, if we're going to look at the longer term zone, it is a number, a, a, a number of players across the industry that will need to play the part in order for us to be able to reach the long term ambition that we have set for the industry. Thank you. Sam, same question. The, <clears throat> who are the main drivers? And building on what we've just said, does that change? Is that different today? And do you foresee a, a, a shift? So uh, good uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, I think if you took notes on what Harris just said, that's all you need to know. That pretty much covered everything <laughs> that I think anybody needs to know. I, I, I'll turn the... Uh, I'll turn the question a little bit. Uh, I'm the CEO of uh, Overseas Shipholding Group. We operate uh, in the United States, uh, principally in the Jones Act trade. Uh, and to focus a little bit on um, uh, what Harris has said in terms of, uh, of how that affects things in the United States and what we might, might expect in the United States. And, I, and the theme that I would focus on in answering your question, John, is your opening remarks about small, <clears throat> small changes can make a big difference. Uh, and I think, uh, I think ship owners uh, understand, or at least uh, those that have thought about this deeply, um, that long-term uh, moonshot solutions of transforming the existing uh, installed marine uh, asset base, uh, th those are worthy conversations uh, and need to be thought about. But in the, in, the, in the real terms, in order to make a difference, we have to focus on the installed base. Uh, this is particularly true in the Jones Act because the construction cost for a new vessel uh, is exorbitant. Uh, and uh, particularly when you think about <clears throat> long-life assets, if you're building a ship today in the United States, the earliest delivery you're likely to get is 2027. Uh, the technology is not established as to what the propulsive system should be, what the fuel systems might be. Uh, and then you have to think about the fact that if you, if you take a ship and ordered it today and you got delivery in 2027, 28, uh, that has a 30-year life. And so what, is, what are the implications of the decisions that you make today 
uh, on a 30-year life where, you know, 30 years from now, uh, it could well be, I'm, we're in the tanker business, it could well be that the demand for fuel transportation coastwise in the United States is radically reduced and, and you face, uh, a, you know, obsolescence risk or stranded asset risks that, uh, given the size of the investment for a, for a Jones Act ship, are, are considerable. So, um, to me, uh, the real drivers uh, in trying to figure out the incremental changes that Harris has re uh, uh, referred to, how do you optimize the fuel efficiency on board your vessels, how do you work with, uh, with the uh, charters to optimize uh, the efficiency of voyages, and ultimately uh, uh, I think that comes to uh, a need for charters and owners, uh, both in the United States as well as globally, to, to sit down and, and recognize that this is an our problem, not just an owner's problem. That uh, particularly if you understand the way that the CII works. Um, you know, the charters are responsible for the voyage instructions, the speed, the distance, the, the intensity of, uh, of the use of that vessel, and the owners follow charters instructions. Uh, the, the, the CII grade is worn by the owners at the end of the day, uh, and that's, that's, that's a point of conflict that needs to be resolved. And I think that uh, one of the principal uh, uh, development points in the future for making progress in this area uh, is getting owners and, and charters to sit down and recognize uh, that change will only come if both parties focus on uh, making uh, or altering ways that things have been done historically uh, uh, to reflect the desire to really make those incremental changes. So, What I'm hearing, Scott. Sam, it's interesting to hear your various perspectives from different you know, uh, uh, owner perspectives. Um, Scott, where, where do you come from? Is, is it, is, is it a two-phased approach, as we're hearing, or you know, is there a transition? Does it depend on, is it very asset-specific? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly it's a transition. I mean, my first statement on this, which I've said publicly before, I mean, this is a global energy issue. This isn't a shipping industry issue, and I think this gets lost a bit along the way. Um, you know, everyone is expecting the ship owners and the shipping industry to come with the solutions, and you know, whether you agree or not, I argue that the shipping industry is pretty compliance cultured. You know, if you look at IMO 2020, where there's all these threats of non-compliance, if you look at any of the major regulatory regimes, I think the shipping industry always complied. Uh, but now we're being asked to, to kind of choose the lottery winner of the future technology. And we get a lot of ambitious statements, particularly from the politicians who, who are expecting more and more from us. Um, I think that's good motivation, good to drive us. I think we can all agree uh, we're not climate deniers anymore. We accept the challenge. But when I hear politicians and leaders in the EU say, you know, the technology is available, it's ready, there are things you can do now, and then they back that up because they've had a lot of vendors, suppliers, and entrepreneurs come and visit them and share their technologies. Well, they're coming to us as well, but what you're finding is these ideas um, – as interesting as they are, they're undercapitalized. They're not proven to be fit for service. Uh, and we, as an industry, are, are struggling between ambition, which is a great motivator, and practical, real solutions. I mean, we cannot order an ammonia-powered ship today. Um, methanol, we can start to see um, specifications that are available, so we, we can, can look into that. But if we go back only 15 years ago, LNG was the fuel of the future. And, and the problem is, is the science keeps evolving. So we're having trouble relying on, on the science. And what are we measuring? We were first told to measure tank to wake, just that portion that the ship consumes. But really, this is an absolute emission issue. 
So I think the issue is a lot more dynamic, a lot more complex, and getting to the heart of your question, uh, you know, whose responsibility is it? I agree exactly what Sam just said. You know, this is the first regulation where when we meet with charterers and cargo interests, they're not asking us, how are you going to deal with this? They're asking, how are we going to deal with this? So it's a global interest. It's a global energy issue. It's not a shipping issue. Interesting. And Soren, being you know, the CEO of a database platform that leverages that info, is there a particular segment or is it a change in sort of paradigm and approach? Yeah. yeah, first of all, thanks so much for, for inviting us. And, and being a software company and looking across, of course, looking a little bit from the outside in on this um, and understanding the perspective both from the ship owner and the charter, uh, I, I really think that, that this is where, where Sam is also hitting uh, it, it right, is saying is the alignment across the value chain. I don't think it's a segment. I actually think it is uh, more looking at the different users across the value chain that have to solve this together. And one of the challenges that, that the industry is really having is, is the trust between each other, right? So how many charm charters are not being still fixed on wanted speeds? And then the vessels are selling the wanted speeds but not are being optimized. And then we spend a lot of uh, money on, on claiming each other and, and uh, debating what was the weather and so on, right? So if we actually had more transparency and we actually worked together in a trusted way, I think there's like easily 15, 20% that can be optimized on that. Uh, and we've seen that across the value chain in many, many use cases. And, and then you say that the future fuels is a second phase. But if you actually optimize now, that will, in, in, in my mind, that will actually be the one that can finance that future. If we, if we don't optimize, if we don't take that value out of the supply chain, I think it would be very difficult for us to actually fund that, that future growth uh, and, and that future energy consumption because the fuels will be much more expensive, right? And as Scott rightfully saying, we'll be, we will be short on this, right? So we, it, it's, it's going to be very, very apparent for all of us that, that we across the value chain align incentives and, and build trust between the different stakeholders and find that common goal. The good side of this, of course, is that any time you save, and, and it sounds a little bit easy said, but, but difficult to do, but every time you save a ton of fuel, of course, we make more money, right? And I think that's the whole notion, and, and there's just a lot of money on, on saving, let's say 10, 15, 20% is a lot, but, but it's there. And it, it's really about getting stakeholders aligned from uh, just arrival, uh, just import time arrival, so we don't sell too fast to drop anchor still being done so much across the value chain. Uh, it's about not claiming each other and, and actually optimizing for the same and build that trust. It is a, it's about empowering those people that is taking the commercial decisions. So, so I'm a firm believer that this is not a technical issue only. Right short term, this is a commercial issue. And we need to empower the commercial side of the business and, and have that in line. And I think the transition is really uh, happening around that now. Interesting. So, Richard, building on your point where you highlighted that uh, the regulators have an immense responsibility right now, and then, you know, also taking in Sam's point, which I, I, I wrote, you know, this is an hour problem. I'm going to be stealing that one, Sam. It's good. Um, you know, how should the ship owners be engaged in the process now? What should ship owners be doing with regulators? Is it, it can't simply be a matter of regulators driving down and sort of developing policy without a dialogue. What can the ship owners be doing today to help shape those regulations? That's a very good question, actually. Uh, and uh, 
If you see that the, from the regulator side, uh, I think the regulation for, for emission control are, are accelerating. And, and we see that uh, uh, new regulations are coming into force, and uh, both from the EU side and from IMO side. And IMO next year is going to adjust uh, the ambition for even more uh, tighter regulations. And uh, and I think from the from the owner side, what we we actually did a, a study uh, from DMV to look at the, the 2050, the few. A mixture considering the, the, the trajectory for, for, for decarbonization. And, and what we found out is, is actually uh, the technology is not an issue. I agree with you. And the, the, the major problem is the availability for carbon neutral fuel. And, uh, and I also endorse what you mentioned that this is uh, actually uh, energy uh, issues. So, so how to solve that problem? I think uh, the whole industry need to work together to solve that problem because this is not a shipping problem. Uh, one interesting trend we've seen is certain owners have taken it upon themselves to set their own goals that are maybe a little more aggressive than the regulations that they're facing, which is interesting. Um, so now we have some perspectives from owners here. Haras, do you think you, ship owners will become more and more proactive in setting these regulations and setting standards in, in the medium and near term? Thank you, John. Uh, so, so I would say that um, the industry has learned the hard way that uh, we need to have a strong voice when it comes to the drafting of environmental regulations. In, in the past, we, we have uh, been faced with cases where there was a lot of debate with regards to whether the regulations are designed in such a way uh, that they can be practical, they can be uh, viable for the industry, they can ensure a level playing field. Uh, so definitely the industry is becoming more vocal. Uh, we expect that the industry will continue to become more vocal, especially as environmental regulations are having more of a more if impact on the financials of a shipping company, on its business, on its strategies. Um, and now, how can this happen? Of course, it's owner alone. There's no, not much that uh, we can do by ourselves. But there are the national shipping associations uh, that can, um, uh, can open a dialogue with the national delegations that are being represented at the IMO. The IMO is a global regulator. It sets the standards. It sets the targets. Um, it sets the ambition. Uh, so through our national delegations and through other shipping organizations like the ICS, for example, ship owners can contribute, can give feedback, uh, can give views, technical expertise in order to make sure that any new regulation is designed in a practical way and in a way that ensures um, the viability, the, uh, the financial sustainability of our sector and does not cause uh, disruptions when it comes to competition. Uh, now, uh, we, we are seeing also a lot of uh, cooperation. Uh, nowadays, we are seeing alliances uh, being formed. We are seeing partnerships. Uh, John, you mentioned about ambition. For example, last year, we saw the call to action for shipping decarbonization, where uh, a number of uh, shipping companies and other stakeholders of the industry um, uh, made the call to action for the, uh, the IMO and the governments to increase the ambition uh, of 2050 from 50% to net zero. Uh, so, uh, so we do see the industry stepping up in terms of ambition, while in the past, 
we were seeing the industry being more defensive and more critical when it comes to regulations. Uh, this is the first time that we're seeing the industry actually call for an increase in the ambition. Uh, so, so yes, the industry is being more vocal. We expect it to be more vocal, and that's something good for us uh, because we'll make sure that the regulations are designed uh, in, in an efficient way that uh, will not only benefit the environment, but will also ensure that we continue doing our business in a profitable way. Thank you. Sam, Sam building on that, you know, those coalitions and that proactivity that we're seeing, which is unprecedented for the most part among owners, you know, uh, you mentioned the getting to zero. Um, what role does that play in the industry now in focusing efforts and, and driving efforts? Is it a proactive or reactive approach that's critical right now? I, I think that, uh, again, Harris is, is a very well articulated uh, changes that we've seen in the industry uh, in the United States. Um, you know, OSG was a founding member of an organization called the Blue Sky Maritime Coalition. This is a, a group of people, uh, industry people, that spread across the inland waterways, the coastal trading, uh, shipyards, ports, uh, and the, the sort of um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the head of the Blue Sky Maritime, Carol Lewis and Carrie Troth, is actually speaking today at lunch, I think, so uh, you'll get a chance to, uh, to, to, to ask her some questions, I believe. But the central uh, focus of that group is to look at the holistic solution. Uh, it's not just about the ship owners. You have, to, you have to look at how the port infrastructure is set up, what can be done. Uh, Soren has mentioned, uh, you know, the, 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 the disconnect between charter party terms that incentivize an owner on a voyage charter to go as fast as possible to get to the port because demerge doesn't start until you uh, late time doesn't start until you actually tender NOR uh, all of the financial uh, incentives behind that uh, uh, ignore the port congestion issues they ignore uh, other issues that that, uh, that, may, uh, that may that may result in if you try to optimize that voyage you, you try and do things differently um, I, I think uh, organizations like the Blue Sky Maritime Organization, uh, Net Zero, uh, will have a, a progressively uh, larger role uh, in voicing uh, uh, the, the opinions of the industry. I, I also think it's important to recognize that uh, uh, the IMO and, and organizations like that are fundamentally political organizations, um, and the politics behind many of the decisions that are, that are taken to those organizations are aspirationally driven, agenda driven by uh, political interests in the member states that come there. Uh, obviously, we have to deal with those uh, issues. Um, but my own belief is the market is a much better arbiter of, uh, of solutions uh, and that uh, active engagement uh, uh, in uh, organizations like the Blue Sky Mar Maritime Organization which brings uh, the various constituents together uh, in, a, in a neutral forum to be able to try and uh, at least discuss possible solutions and problems. Uh, I, I personally believe organizations like that uh, are, are going to be more effective in driving change over time than, uh, than the, uh, the, the larger uh, politically-oriented organizations. Scott, your view. Do you think uh, owners are going to continue to be proactive as they have been, and that's a sort of critical path, as, as Sam said, that you know, the markets are a better you know, finder of solutions than the, the bodies sort of dictating. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree the market is, is a better and stronger force. 
I think when ship owners take leadership, uh, it's not always well received. I, I just look at more recent IMO discussions where the International Chamber of Shipping tried to put forward a, basically a, a ship owner charter or funded research and development fund. Um, and it met nothing but criticism and, and I think intentional misdirection, particularly by EU politicians, um, who, who were misrepresenting what it was about. And, you know, here ship owners were really in earnest um, from around the world trying to put together some money for research and development and not looking for handouts. So, uh, you know, this whole idea that, that the regulated should, should be the, the leaders of the regulations, it, it doesn't always fare so well. Um, it's, it's not well received, and I think we can agree that the, the incentives maybe aren't always pure or the conflicts exist. So definitely align myself with the, the idea that the market is going to work much stronger. We talked about this being a shared responsibility, and, and this is what we're doing with our charters and, and the cargo interests that we work with is, you know, what are their objectives, and how can we develop solutions that meet their objectives? Um, but the regulations will come. We have to adhere to them. That's not a question. But what we're seeing is some of the regulations aren't making a lot of sense. And part of that's because the, the science hasn't really evolved. But just looking at this CII that comes into force next year, um, the metrics aren't fit for purpose. They're, they're creating perverse incentives. Uh, and the regulators aren't listening to the ship owners. Um, the Blue Sky Coalition has a brilliant paper on on how there's a mismatch, and yet the IMO wants to wait for, what, three more years to give it a try before they try to improve things, so. That's an interesting point. What can be done now to help bridge that disconnect, if anything? We have to work together, right? We have to understand, we have to have common objectives, we have to set aside political ambition, which is short-term by, by definition in my mind. Um, and we, we have to agree to what it is we're trying to do. And if we're trying to reduce absolute emissions, then we, we have to focus on a metric that does that. Uh, but at the same time, we also have to put the ambition in check with reality. You said it at the beginning, 90% of the global trade, which demands shipping to be efficient as it can be, 2 to 3% of the emissions, okay, we can accept that they're going to increase in proportion. Global trade's going to increase in proportion. But... Uh, we have to find a way. I, I don't know. I'm not so optimistic that we're going to have peace, love, harmony, and kumbaya, and we're all going to figure it out. I mean, that's not the way the world entirely works. But I think this time, uh, owner and charterer are going to work closer together, and they're going to find common ground and shared objectives, and that market force is going to drive improvement. Sorry, where do you see the influence coming? Does the industry need to be more proactive? Do platforms like yours need to be driving that data to the regula regulatory bodies and saying this is what's possible, this is how it, where we are today? Hmm. So it's so very much aligned, of course, at what the, the rest of uh, the panel is saying. And, and then when we're talking about that, that people across the value chain have to work together to solve it, right? I fully echo of, of the CI, but it's there and we have to work with it, right? So we have two approaches on the CI. We can begin to enhance our charter party of beating each other up. How do you re-deliver the vessel? Or you can begin to work together and say, how do we drive down the, the CI rating? I'm not saying it's perfect metrics, but the metrics is there, right? So that's kind of the two angles. You can begin to regulate each other with, with legal clauses in the charter party, or you can work together. And, and 
I really think, and, and I have a super strong belief, that we need to work together. The hampering for that is people's willingness to share data across the value chain. People are, are like, uh, when we talk to, to our customers, which is across the value chain, and, and they want to share data with us, they're very concerned. Uh, and, and, and uh, like, uh, out of the 170 people we now is, uh, are in, in Zero North, right, we are five people in data security alone because it's such a big topic of, of our customers, of how protective are we, how do we anonymize data, how do we aggregate data, because people are just not keen on sharing. And, and if you're not keen on sharing, then how do you build this win-win situation? And that's, of course, because we come from an industry that is not, like, used to trust each other across the value chain, right? We are used to, like, being counterparts, and, and I'm not naive in saying that can change overnight. So, so I think the words are, are, are rightfully so, but we need to find common grounds and, and find some way of trust each other so we can do that cross-optimization uh, for us. And then also for the regulative side, of course, there's a lot of different bodies around that is trying to drive the agenda for the shipping industry and, and a lot of support for that. But then I come back to the fact of saying, okay, how do we then uh, open up and do case studies or share data around what has actually been good practice so that we learn from each other and, and I, I think that's is a tough side as well because we people are it's a fragmented market, and and people are really protective of their business, which they should. It's their business. So how do you how do you balance that of, of sharing good cases and and sharing data across for all of us to learn? Because there's not one player across the value chain that's big enough to drive the change. There's not one player that have enough data to to make that change. We can only do this and understand the complexity and, and the aggregated level if we collab collaborate and share data across. Interesting. Mike. John, maybe if I could, I just want to add to that. Um, there's a terminology that's kind of bandied about, which I like, which is called radical transparency. Uh, and I, and I, I think the, the world is, is, is different today than it has been even 10 or 15 years ago. The amount of, of real-time data that's available uh, as to the performance of ships, the weather, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, apt, the actual uh, drivers that, imp uh, that influence a, a voyage specifically or, or a service over time, uh, I think the technology has made significant advances in really the last five or seven years. Uh, and uh, combining those two factors, the, the access to uh, real-time accurate data uh, a, a large data sets of, of sister ships where you can actually form a foundation as to what a ship's performance should be. Uh, and then the tracking through the AIS and through other means. Uh, I, I, I think that information is already available to anyone who wants to go and look at, at it. And therefore, a commitment of the parties to actually embracing that radical transparency and working with that data to find solutions, I, I, I really think that's one of the drivers that will make significant change. That, that, that but that but maybe it's, it, and I fully echo that, right? But that data sitting with the ship owner is very rarely shared with the charter. I, I, I've actually not seen any owner like willing to share sensor data in sample to a charter. I, I actually have not seen that because because it becomes a, a economical thing between them as well, right? So fully echo the data is there, but how do we trust each other to start sharing it? I'm mindful of the time, sort of in closing. And I don't want to use the word easy wins because there are none, but for the solutions, for the options, for the progress we're seeing today, where do you see uh, the most opportunity for, for real progress in the short and medium term in our sites? Is it, is it implementation of green corridors? Is it sort of development of a particular tech? Maybe we'll just go down the line, Richard. Okay, thank you. And uh, if we look at the decarbonization target, 
if we see that uh, by 2050 that we have to achieve net zero uh, carbon emissions for the shipping, then uh, I think, uh, Michael, you have mentioned that 5% of the, the fuel has to be carbon neutral by 2030. And then we are talking about 270 million ton of uh, fuel has to be transited to the carbon neutral. And, uh, and the DME has done a study, and we look at uh, what will be a variable uh, carbon neutral fuel. Then uh, we talk about the biofuel, and, uh, which require a sustainable biomass. And we talk about the e-fuel, which require a sustainable uh, renewable electricity. And we talk about uh, the, the blue fuel, which uh, will need the carbon capture and the storage. And all those require a significant investment, both on board of the vessel and even higher on, on, on the shore facilities. And, uh, and this brings a tremendous challenge, uh, but also opportunities. And there will be tremendous uh, investment opportunities. But I think those require a collaboration between the industry and, and working together. Harris. Where are we looking right now in the very medium and short term for our progress and our benchmark? Thank you, John. Uh, so I would focus on three things. First, energy efficiency. Let, let's make sure that we leverage all existing solutions and solutions that are being advancement right now in order to, to improve energy efficiency of the existing fleet and improve the carbon intensity, whether these are technical or operational measures. The, the solutions are there. As Soren mentioned, there are significant savings that can be achieved with existing solutions. Let's make sure that as an industry we take advantage of those. It's not only good for the environment, it's also good for our pockets because we're saving banker consumption. Second, I would focus on carbon capture technology. There is humongous opportunity if we're able to advance this technology and to be in a position as an industry to capture carbon on board provided we can do this in a safe and practical and cost-effective way. Uh, so, so we need to see advancements there. And as ship owners, if we can help with the R&D and with pilots, that would be great. Uh, and third, very important as well, uh, we need to continue participating in the dialogue and the partnerships related to green fuels. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Um, along with, uh, uh, with Oldendorf and Rio Tinto and BHP, we have created uh, a consortium to focus on a green corridor between Australia and East Asia. Uh, this is just a small piece of the puzzle. Uh, there are many other pieces that uh, um, we need to develop in order to bring everything together and uh, take it to the next step of introducing green fuels in the coming decade. Um, so, so let us continue this partnership, these alliances, uh, this dialogue, uh, because as everyone else has mentioned, um, there needs to be collaboration and partnership across the value chain. Thank you. So I'm just going to repeat what I said before, that uh, the concept of radical transparency to me is something that owners, uh, I think, should be willing to embrace. Uh, there's, there's obviously a need from the other side to be able to understand what that means. Uh, I think that opens doors for uh, ship owners to make investments uh, in attaining better operational and technical efficiency in the existing uh, installed asset base. Um, that, has to be, that has to be done in a way where there is a monetization of the, of the savings that is, that is uh, realized by the owner and not by the char charter. Uh, charter parties today exist. Any reduction be below the uh, warranted speed and consumption uh, the benefit of that goes 100% to the charter. That doesn't create any incentive for the owner to do anything other than to meet the speed and consumption warranties. 
Uh, that's just a misaligned uh, incentive structure. Uh, change that structure so that, uh, that you have radical transparency, so the actual fuel consumption, the actual speed, all of that is, is made re uh, readily available to the charters and the owners. There's no, you know, obviously that opens some exposure to the owners, but if you do that and the owners have the right incentive, then go to the charters and tell them, look, I'm going to invest X hundred thousand dollars into a, an efficiency savings uh, device. I need to recover that capital investment if I'm going to do that. You're going to save, the, the ship is going to save money in fuel. Everybody wins. There's less carbon uh, emissions if we have less fuel consumption. Uh, we're a scope three provider to your services, and so you're going to counter our, our, our carbon in, in, in any case. Um, let's work on a, on a, on a structure like that. Uh, I think that starts to make some real differences. Uh, you know, the trust issue that Soren uh, raises is uh, is a very important one. Uh, but you know, go back to the point that I that I said earlier, and Scott actually gave me the idea, so I'm going I'm to give him the credit for it. <laughs> that it's uh, this is no longer an, 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 a ship owner so, solely a ship owner problem. Uh, this is an hour problem or, or you know, us together, uh, and that trust, that trust issue has to be built, but I think there's a, there's a, there is progress in, in making uh, changes that we'll, we'll hopefully see over time. Just keep going on this one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think building on the theme that it's, a, it's an us, us issue. I mean, there's an increased demand for reduced emissions. I don't think there's any question there, whether it's being driven by the finance sector, now the insurance sector, um, definitely uh, public money, publicly traded companies have a lot of shareholder demand. Um, so in dry bulk, at least with Oldendorf, our clients are increasingly request reduced emissions, which means there's opportunity, right? So, so what do we want as ship owners? We want opportunity to develop um, more lucrative business and it takes green to go green so uh, I build on that right and we are developing some solutions for our clients but it means we have to come to a common understanding of what is it we're trying to achieve and then we have to look at the broad supply chain because it doesn't make sense if we adjust the sea leg only to end up in a port where we swapped out barges for trucks I mean what have we accomplished nothing there so there is opportunity. And then the other thing that I think we need to grab a hold of early on is um, we need to protect first movers. And the green corridor is, is a potential solution for that. Um, there's some papers coming in the IMO that are going to work on that, perhaps market-based measures with, with some contributions. Uh, I think we have a lot to learn from LNG. We can't bet the world on LNG only 15 years later to find everyone who invested in LNG is now criticized by the World Bank and others for choosing the wrong fuel. So we have to, we have to keep that in mind because most of these assets uh, won't have achieved their useful economic life until long after the politicians of the day have left office. Well, thank you, and thank you all for listening. Uh, mindful of the blinking light, we could probably go on, but uh, thanks to our hosts, and uh, thank you. <laughs>